you do not think somebody going on TV for your wife, your children, and everybody to hear that I'm coming for every dream you've ever had, for every bit of media you've ever soaked up, for every commentating gig and for every headline that you've ever dreamed about having, for every placement on the card, for that beautiful gold belt. I know those are things that you want, but I want them too, and I'm coming to take them, and I'm willing to come right through you to get them. If you're not the kind of guy to think those are fighting words, you and me are just two different people. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving with your friends and your family. Guys, I know I did. Coming up on today's show, Brendan Allen has called out a middleweight that no one ever calls out. Plus, I'm hearing more UFC 300 rumors, and some new rankings have placed Tom Aspinall ahead of John Jones. We got a lot to get to today, everybody. Let's begin with this. PFL and Bellator. What just happened and why? So, we spoke about this many times, guys, right? This was alleged to have been done a while ago. It was alleged to have been done, and the announcement was just coming. I've never believed those things. I don't believe anybody buried an announcement the moment the ink is dry, I believe they came right out and told us and trying to figure it out, trying to figure out and, and get sense of what this means. So Don Davis went on Ariel's show yesterday, and I watched that interview, and Don looked great. He's got this great suit on. I've met Don before. He's a very charismatic guy. He's high energy, and he's very, very intelligent. He's got a history, track record of success. So I listened to his interview, and when I ask you what happened and why, when I, when I ask you something was purchased, what was that? I'm not satisfied with any answer I've been given. And the only reason I ask the question is I'm attempting to learn something. So how difficult would this be if you were put in that spot, right? Think of yourself. Think of yourself. You got a business going. You got a track record, you got a plan. And your business is not making money yet, but, but you have a track record. You knew there was going to be some, and your, your, the trajectory is still there, right? Everything is going just as you planned. But the other way to look at it would be you're not making money within your business. So you are now going to take on another company, a like company that is also not making money. So you, you had a company that wasn't making money, and now you have another company that's not making money. You put those two together. What is it that you bought? And for me, the name Bellator is meaningful. For me, when, when I see Bellator pop on the screen or the TV or there's a Bellator coming up, it used to be there's a Bellator coming up, which is a new mixed martial arts program. It's, it's not like that anymore. Just Bellator, boom, it exists. I came through Bellator. I got all these great memories. So I'm, maybe I'm personalizing a little bit, but to me, that's a brand and that's a name that's also done international business and there's something there. But you're not going to be able to tell me when you try to be the smartest guy in the room that they bought that brand when it is known up front they're going to close and do away with that brand. 
And I would listen to you. I would listen to you as you tell me that Lorenzo Fertitta did an interview one time and he paid $2 million for the UFC, which had nine contracts and an old wooden octagon, but he was purchasing those letters, UFC. Like, I I can repeat that stuff too. What I'm sharing for you, how insightful that was when Lorenzo said it. He did not get to UFC and then do away with that and come out with a new name because he had the power to do it. He kept the name. He saw the power of the brand in the name, and he kept it. So I'm just bringing it to you. If we're to mix those two things together, and we know up front we are going to do away with that name, even if it's a year from now, what I'm asking you, what was bought? You don't get to say the brand. You don't get to say the name. A familiarity with the brand and the name. You don't get to do that. Okay. So what was bought? And you'll remember the story when Lorenzo talked about we got an old wooden octagon. It wasn't that, right? You got the smart cage. I mean, just just for example, it, it wasn't something like that. It wasn't leases and offices. And one thing where people often get confused, when somebody buys a company, they so many times will think that the person that bought that is buying an idea. They like the idea. You've heard an expression before, it's a million dollar idea or it's a billion dollar idea, except there has never been a million dollars or a billion dollars given to somebody for an idea. It's not true. When a company buys a company, they're not buying an idea or a concept. They are buying contracts. What contracts, all the way from personnel on down, all the way down to the leases that you got out there, all the way down to whatever legal impending might be coming or has already come, you're buying that paper. So. In the purchase, what was bought, what was sold? And we'll say a number of times that that it's the athletes. And I won't push back on you for that. The athletes could come over and they could be cherry-picked and they could be cut or they could come over, but this wasn't some kind of a a above-market-value purchase. There's a lot of liability that now came with those contracts. Those contracts all have in them that your pay and your offering of work and opportunity will be given three times per year. So now if you've got a network TV deal and they've only given you so much TV time and that, that's already purchased and done, if, that, if that's already, you only have so many fights that you can put forward. So when you start to get these contracts, which weren't at some kind of a premium to begin with, you do not have an asset. You now have a liability. So I would just come back again and I would ask you what was purchased. What happened here? And personnel is huge. Bellator's personnel is just top-notch. It came out within the interview that Don Davis did with Arrow that there was 21 people over at Bellator. I knew, I knew it was a smaller group. I thought it was a little larger than 21, but there we, we have our answer. And those are some very good people. So should we throw that in? We got the fighter contracts, which are not assets. They are liabilities, but we still got them. And we have personnel, of which Don made very clear, all are welcome to come and join. But all are welcome to come and join, as nice and kind as that is, is not, this deal is done, I'm your boss, get to work. So so there again, just within the tone that was used, we can reasonably defer. Those were not viewed as assets, they were viewed as liabilities. So what was it that was bought? What got sold? You can have intellectual properties. Okay. 
What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with those? How are you going to try to maximize those? Where are those going to live and where are those going to be put? Because those are for sure a very real thing. They come with a number. And now for the first time, we are discussing a potential asset as opposed to a liability. So I'm listening and all I'm attempting to do is to learn. That's, I, have, I have no other objective here. When Don went on Ariel's program, Don asked a question. And he asked a question. And Ariel's platform is a very good place to start to hedge your bet on whatever risk you're going to do. The fight game is nothing but a bet every time. Every contract and every deal you do, you are making a bet. And you got to go first. You got to put your money up thinking the house can win. So Ariel's program is a great place to hedge that. A promoter will go on there and float an idea. He might even come out and, and, and say it as fact, but all he's doing is putting that into the marketplace, which is you guys, and see what he gets back. I'll give you a great example. Eddie Hearn went on Ariel's program right after Francis and Gano had fought Tyson Fury, and Eddie Hearn floated an idea of Francis versus Joshua. He was even going to take it out to Africa, and he was even going to make it a rumble in the jungle part two. Like, it was awesome. Eddie's pitch was awesome. He put all the details out there. He's never brought it up again because he heard back from you guys and it just wasn't what he thought it was going to be. I'm just using that as an example because Don Davis went on Ariel's show yesterday and he asked a question. It had to do with Francis Ngannou versus Deontay Wilder in a mixed rules match. How cool would that be? Question mark. That's the question. How cool would that be? Question mark. To which I'm assuming he would like an answer. And... You have an MMA fighter in Francis who's now willing to box. Turns out really well. You have Deontay Wilder, who's a pure boxer, who I don't believe is willing to do MMA, but if I'm wrong, I'll happily be corrected. And what did mixed rules mean? When Don asked the question, I want to answer him. How cool would that be? I would like to answer that. What, what does mixed rules mean? I don't feel it means MMA. If it was MMA, I think that would have been said. So, to answer the question, if you're going to make up a sport, it's not going to be that cool. If, if we're going to make up a sport, if, if, if we're going to have a conflict and we're going to have conflict resolution, we're going to work that out somehow in some form of a contest, let's do one that we all know about, and that could even be arm wrestling. They can have a bake-off. They can go high-low AC-Ducey on a deck of 52 cards. Don't make something up is my answer. That, 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 that is my response. Don't make something up. One of the big problems that Francis had with Fury, one of them, though they ended up not doing it, they discussed to nauseum that they were going to adjust a rule set. They were going to make up a sport. And though that's not what got done, they discussed it nonstop. They discussed booking a lion. They discussed booking O2, and they're going to come in, they're going to do this thing, and they're going to box, but they're going to have on four-ounce gloves. Even though that didn't end up happening, they spent eight months telling people that's what it was going to do. So when the fight went off, so many people thought they were going out to do up a made-up sport. And that wouldn't satisfy anybody. 
It wouldn't satisfy your MMA crowd or your boxing crowd or your enthusiast. It would be something that was made up. And if you do something that's make up, you take away what everybody wants to see, which is the risk. When two guys go fight, it is not about pugilism. It is not about a skill set. These are things that are advertised. We give this to the audience. It's, it, it's not real. It's about one guy is going to suffer tremendous embarrassment. If you're talking about the big fight, he's going to suffer defeat. His ego is going to be hurt. His career is going to be hurt. Everything he worked for and sacrificed is going to be damaged. The answer and the dream that he had is going to be taken away. If that is not an eligible piece of your fight, an eligible consequence to the fight, you don't have a big fight. The end. Not Chael's rules. Go back over history. There has never been one of these big, massive fights that doesn't have that ingredient. And there's no way to have that ingredient if you made up the sport, if you changed the rules even one, if you didn't have sanction, if you didn't have commissions. So just to answer the question, how cool would it be to see Francis and Deontay in a sport that will be made up and used that one time and that one night, if I had a preference and I could encourage you, I would prefer to encourage you to use a sport that's already here as opposed to making one up. Versus Engano, part two. Those those talks are finally starting to resurface. I heard them again yesterday for the first time in a period of time. A lot of reasons why that died off, right? I mean, what 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 a special event in my entire life. I have never witnessed a sporting event be talked about more after the fight than it was before the fight, or just the event. I mean, it could, it, could be a, it could be any sport that you want. I've never seen something discussed more once it was done than it was prior to it happening. I don't think that you have any example that would come close in your own experience. I'm sharing mine, but I think you can relate. So if there was ever time to do a rematch, I mean, if there was ever a time in history to do a rematch that was it but it was met with difficulty one because the fighters were very polite they were nice to each other they didn't demand it right they came out a little hotter afterwards or maybe on social media but if they would have put some of those hotter quips in that very moment it really it really could have helped to elevate that but they were met with a nearly impossible task, which was Fury's already signed to fight Usyk. Like the piece of business that I'm here and would like to get going, I can't because that weird sounding dude in the front row is about to get in here and he's already got a date of December 23rd. Like whatever I do will be pointless. It will be impossible. I understand that. I do understand how difficult those things were. And now as a little bit of time has passed, 
And now that we're having our second wave, our second round of talks about Fury and Engano, you are left to ask yourself, right? If you're if you're attempting to guess whether this not whether or not this will happen, if you're trying, if you're just trying to guess, could you get those two athletes together again? You put yourself in their shoes and say, well, what would I have to gain? If I was there, why would I want to do it? Now, I understand this is not business. This is not about spending money with a hope of getting more money back. So it does change the way that you have to look at it if you're attempting to make a prediction. When we realize this isn't business, that these guys don't have to make money to satisfy the notion that somebody will still put this event together. When we realize that, we're now left to, what would Fury get out of that? Like, what would Fury get out of that? Have you guys ever had a close one? You ever had a close call? You ever been in any kind of a sport and, and, and you had much more experience and all of a sudden a match turns out to be a lot closer than you thought it was? I mean, it, it could be anything. Anything that you're playing where you think that you would have an upper hand. I've competed with 10 people who've competed with this person. I beat all 10. All 10 beat this person. But for some reason, this person is giving me real problems right now. Why would you give them a rematch? If they couldn't get back to you, I mean, at some point, you're going to say, okay, look, I let you cut the line. I let you do all of those things. And whatever happened, whatever style, whatever matchups and why, ever that was a problem, you versus me, I have beaten these people. In a standard format, you would then have to beat those people to get to me. The first time, I didn't make you do it. But this time, I am going to make you do it. That would be very reasonable by Fury. I don't predict that he's going to do that. I don't predict that he's going to do that because I think... The allure to the second fight is the same as the first, which is a pure cash grab. Or if Fury, who won, but the narrative is he didn't win as easily as we thought he should have. If you're right on that, if that's a harder fight, why would he want to do it again? I mean, what would the point of that be? To prove that he's better, he won the first one. To prove that he's better by a larger gap, what difference does it make? I mean, just, just so you know, like the athlete mentality, in case you don't have one, I mean, I'll just share it. I don't mean to be condescending. He does not need to prove that he's better by X amount, just that he's better. That's all. Anyone that's ever set out to win the Olympics or the NCAA or their state championship or any championship for that matter has never thought I will not be satisfied unless I win by five points. Like, that's just not a thing. Any, any race or anywhere that you want to do it, they've never thought, I will not be safe. If they win and they have the gold medal, whatever it was, come hook or crook, the other guy slips on a banana peel, it doesn't make a goddamn bit of difference. You won or you did not win. So when you have a guy that did win, why is it that he would fight again? And again, if we're just talking about money, I, I can sit down and shut up right now. And if that's all we're going to do and that's all we're going to say, there's no point to watching a fight. It will lose just as much money as it did the first time. If we're trying to be realistic and we're trying to put something together, as people who understand, which means we must have a profit, so we must be sustainable. Even if we're not that far along, you still got to wonder, what would Fury get out of it? If Fury goes out there and he gets the same result as he did last time, 
he's now won, but he's won twice. But there's a narrative over the top of it that he he didn't win by as much as he should. And okay, fair enough. But but if I'm dealing with Crazyville, right? If if I, if I'm a person, and I'm trying to appease an audience, an audience of strangers who I haven't met, but they're, they're my audience and they're my market. Once they identify themselves to me that they live in Crazyville, my desire to appease that market goes away. If you're telling me that I can win in a contest that only goes one of two ways, you win or you don't win. There's not a third. There's not a fourth. There's not a purgatory. It's very straightforward. If I did that contest and I won, which was my goal, but you're saying I have to do it again and I have to win again, but but I can't just slip by. It can't be close. It can't be hard. It can't show grit. We can't have a real stylistic problem here. We can't have anything. I have to absolutely dominate. This person, that is just a criteria that I wouldn't want to be met with. And if that's the criteria that you're going to judge me on, I'm not going to do you the favor, which is to go out and do the match. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't get a belt. I don't get a title. I get a bunch of money. That's really nice. I got a bunch of money. I did it for your approval. And I did it successfully. And I saw what you saw and I felt what you felt. And it was a lot harder and a lot closer than it was supposed to be. But what do I get out of doing it? This guy doesn't have a championship. This guy's not under contract. I, I don't get to steer his career. I, I don't get to do it. I don't even get to come over the top of him. I don't get to do anything because he's not part of the organization, because he's not on contract. He was loaned out on a one-off. So no matter what I do, I'm still at a disadvantage. And I, I just asked you it from that perspective. I do believe that that fight will happen. I do believe they can get them together. I do believe they'll they'll lose a ton more money. I believe a lot more people will tune in. I believe it's very helpful that they did it under boxing rules. That was a message that got buried because they spent so much time telling people they were going to make up rules, but they ended up not making up rules. They did it with the WBC, or was it WBO? I get confused. What difference does it make? Sitting there in the front row, I mean, he sanctioned the event and he showed up to show that he sanctioned it. I think that kind of information is very helpful to bring in more attention. But to get that fight and to make it happen, you're going to have to give Fury a meaningful more amount. And you're going to give Francis a meaningful more amount. So even if more people tune in, you still lose the same amount. But you are dealing with different numbers. And before we get to that point, it would be, what's in it for Fury? If you're able to choose and predict, is there anything wrong with getting away with one? Is there anything wrong with having a closer one? Is there anything wrong with having to dig deep? Is there is there anything about that where he should actually lose sleep? Where a championship is actually tarnished and or questioned? Fury versus Ngano Part 2. I would predict for you that it's going to happen. But like in a relationship, one person's going to care more than the other. Francis would clearly care more in this situation about having that match happen, clearly. And I think that that's going to be one of the obstacles that you run in with with Fury. And Fury's also been very consistent within his career. I mean, he wanted Joshua. He wanted Joshua so bad. But as soon as Joshua lost the championships, Fury no longer wanted Joshua. It's a big deal that you understand that concept. Because that was a huge fight. That's still a huge fight. But Fury said, no, it's not the fight that I want. I've never been after him. He was a byproduct. I want the belt. He doesn't have the belts. I don't want him. I'm going after where the belts are. So it's consistent. 
within the way and the competitive nature that Fury's mind works. He didn't hold up boxing. He didn't hold up a fight. As a matter of fact, he signed a boxing fight the same simultaneous time that he had the Francis fight. So we don't have to question his sincerity. He would have that. He would have that in spades. But it's still a difficult match to get these guys together if there's no gain and there's no loss on Fury's side. I think... John Jones slid in the rankings today, I believe for the first time. Tom Aspinall got put number one, got put in front of John Jones and Brett Okamoto, ESPN co-worker of mine, came out and said something along the lines of, hey, this might strike you as a surprise, but it shouldn't. John Jones has only beaten one heavyweight ever, and John Jones has only had one fight in three years. Michael Bisping came in. He agreed with that. Aspinall should be number one. And then heaped praise on Jones. Jones is great. Jones is done so good and so well. But Jones is out and Aspinall's going to be busy. So therefore, he should be number one. So is activity a criteria within rankings? And it's one of the problems. One of the reasons you don't ever hear from the rankings room. It's the same reason you don't ever hear from the judges. It's, it's important that you don't start hearing from administrators. It's important that you don't start hearing from referees as badly as you would like an explanation of what you're looking for. The words will never help you. I mean, if, I, if I'm just to look at today what was said as to why Tom Aspinall went in front of John Jones, it has to do with activity. Now, that's never been disclosed, ever. Nobody has ever disclosed to us that activity is a criteria, and it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be who can beat who. In your expert opinion, who can beat who? And your job is going to be very easy if A and B have fought before. But if A and B have not fought before, and you are forced to rank one of them, this is where your expertise is to come through. And there are things that you will be forced to turn to, such as common opponents. Just for example, but if ultimately it comes down to you know what you're looking at, that is why you're entrusted with this role. And you start to see where there's no benefit to coming out and justifying or coming out and explaining. I fully agree with the assessment that Aspinall is in front of Jones. I agree with that assessment because Jones has told us, I can't do it. So it wouldn't matter what the reason was. It wouldn't matter what the possible reasoning behind that, I can't do it. If you can't do it and somebody else can, then just right there by definition, that person would be better than you. They would be in front of you. So I, I, I do wonder where that concept gets lost. I mean, that's ultimately what you're supposed to do. I, I will see people hold certain rankings where no reasonable person believes the folks in front of them 
are better and Corp beat, can beat them. But they've had more and their record and, and they finished five guys. And they, they start telling you things that is no part of it. Can this person beat this person or not? I just find it to be an interesting topic because it's not overly meaningful. That is done in the fighter's head. I mean, I, I, I had to see one today where Robert Whitaker, you know, I really like Robert Whitaker as a person. He's a very nice person, but I, I respect what he's done in the career as well. <laughs> it doesn't change the fact I have never in my life read a Robert Whitaker interview where he accepts a challenge. I've never in my life heard him say the word yes. I've, I've only heard no and then excuses and reasoning that he's come to in his own conclusion as to why the answer is no. But it's always no. Like at some point, I really don't, it doesn't matter if you're right, wrong, or indifferent. The answer is always no. I've never heard him say yes. So he comes out yet again today, Robert Whitaker, and he turned down a potential challenge by Brendan Allen. And he turned the challenge down on the merit that Paul Craig wasn't ranked high enough and therefore Allen's win over Paul Craig. And I mean, I was so upside down and sideways. I, I, I didn't even know what it meant or why it meant anything. You fight, you fight. Do you want to fight? You, you, you got to fight somebody in order to get paid. This is what you do for a living. You fight, you fight. Do you guys want to fight? Ultimately, if you're bringing it to us, the audience, we are going to have a say in a way we think that you'd want to listen on the fights that we want to have. But your ranking has nothing to do with anything. If you're not the number one contender, what difference does it make? What difference does it possibly make what a guy's ranked? If you're not getting the title fight, what difference does it make? The rules don't change. The pay doesn't change. The accomplishment doesn't change. What, what does it possibly matter? And when you go through the rigmarole of why you're dismissing a guy, because he's not as good as the people think, and his ranking isn't as high, ultimately you're saying that he's not as good as you. If he's not as good as you, why would you not take the easy day? There's not one fan that could relate to that. If you didn't have the details, but your boss told you you can go through door A or door B, Door B is way easier than door A. It's going to pay the same. Everything's going to be the same. Your preparation is the same. It's going to be much easier. But you choose. All of you would walk through door B. So when you attempt to dismiss a guy because of his rankings, you go through all this rigmarole. He wants to fight. You don't want to fight him. Boom, he just beats you. This is real simple. It's called diplomacy. It happens all the time. We don't actually have to bring in our troops and fight it out. If I can tell you what I want and you give it to me, we're all good. I'm not going to come in and break things and kill people. I use diplomacy. And I, I, only, I only offer that for you because activity is not a criteria. Who can beat who is the criteria? Who is under contract with who is the criteria? And it wouldn't matter if a guy is hurt or injured or anything else. If he openly says right now and today, I can't do Because see, we're talking about right now and today. We're never talking about a different time. I can't go into the future. I don't have something to teleport me into the future, which is why we're not talking about it. I also don't care how good you were five months ago or five years ago. I don't have anything to teleport me to back then. I'm only talking about right now. So if you have one party that says, I can't do that, you now don't have a debate on who goes where. Your job has been done for you. 
And that might sound cold and that might sound calloused. But the job is still done for you. And I thought that Tom was a real gentleman. He just wanted to be called the active champion. And a former champion in Francis Ngano. He never lost his belt. But he lost his contract. So that eliminated him for discussion to a specific promotion of UFC. And for Tom to be active and for Tom to be busy and for Tom to be willing and wanting and able and not have a ranking over somebody who's openly saying, I cannot do this right now. It, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but I don't agree that it has to do with activity. I, I don't agree that activity is on that list anywhere. I don't believe finish rate is on that list anywhere. I believe that these things have been created over time. And I believe turning fights down is never a wonderful look. And as far as should Tom be ranked in front of John or should John be ranked in front of Tom or John or John or Tom? Guys, what's it pay? What's the money on it? Why, why would we sit around and argue about a ranking over two guys that we're not arguing should fight each other? When you sit around and you debate, can Tom beat John or can John beat Tom? You're, you're debating. They're going to fight. We're going to have resolution. We're going to figure it out. We're not even in a discussion of those two fighting each other. It appears to be John versus Stipe sometime, but next there's no discussion on who Tom should be fighting with. And it just feels like a real wasted breath to argue a ranking or a number that doesn't matter to anyone other than the guy that has it. I mean, the whole rigmarole that Robert Whitaker w went through today and talked about a ranking, it was so painful. Maybe he's right, maybe he's not. There, there'd be no way to know. There would be absolutely no way to know. I know how good Allen looked in his last fight against Craig. I know those skills and that output looked very impressive. And what he's ranked and how that plays in on a match that you're refusing to do anyway, or you're denying that you want to do the match, or nobody's even talking about the match, or this guy's actually already booked to do a completely separate match. What difference does it make? I have talked to you guys about online data privacy before. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to protect your online privacy. I'm on the road a lot, and I often have to connect to hotel and airport internet, but I don't do it without connecting to a VPN, a virtual private network. One of the many benefits of using a VPN is to secure your connection on public Wi-Fi so you can browse in full privacy. Hackers have many methods to steal your data on public hotspots, but with a VPN, your online traffic is invisible to them. Also, government agencies, marketers, and internet service providers all love to track and collect your browsing history, messages, and other private data. This is not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. The best way to hide your data while online is using NordVPN. I believe privacy is a fundamental right and NordVPN helps to protect that right along with your data. As we head into the holiday season, avoid targeted pricing, fake websites, 
and bait and switch attacks with a VPN. Shop securely, knowing your credit card details will be safe from snoopers even on public networks. Grab NordVPN's exclusive deal now at nordvpn.com slash and get extra subscription time. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee at nordvpn.com slash C-H-A-E-L-S-O-N-N-E-N. That's nordvpn.com slash Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring our show. is out of his fight with Bobby Green. Boy, that's a blow, right? I mean, Hooker is putting together such an incredible base, no, like an army of supporters coming along, anything he wants to do. In fact, this is scheduled for a co-main event. December 2nd, out in Dallas, Texas, Hooker versus Bobby Green, co-main event, but they knew they had something real special here. They made it five rounds. Now, the last guy in the world you would ever think would pull out of a fight, Dan Hooker, has had to pull out of a fight. What do we do now? There's a guy named St. Denise, and he was a special forces guy. His special forces, the French version, was equivalent to a Navy SEAL by the American version. I'm quoting, that's what I was told as he led into his fight at the Garden against Strembola. Okay. I like this St. Denise a lot, and I would like to see him get matched up with Bobby Green. I'm throwing an idea out. I'm going to need somebody that the people can get behind. I'm going to need somebody that is dog tough, that can follow the golden rule, which is to protect yourself at all time. I don't know if there is anybody tougher than Dan Hooker, so we're not fully going to have to worry about replacing Dan Hooker, but we are going to look at Bobby Green and just exactly what he is capable of doing over 25 minutes, and if we're going to keep that element part of the fight, meaning rounds four and five are going to exist, even though it's a non-title match and it's not the main event. If we're doing that, we need somebody who can hold up. And St. Denise is just that guy, in my opinion. And I know a lot of names are going to get floated around right now, and I know a lot of names are not going to be offering for it right now. It's a big opportunity, but it's not a main event. I get that. It's a big opportunity with a good placement of co-main event, but it's not on a pay-per-view. I understand that. It's an extra hard night out because it is not a main event in a title fight, but you want me to do the length of a main event or a title fight. I get it. It's going to take a special guy. It, it damn sure is not for you all, fighters. The majority of you that got into this just so you could strip, uh, just so you could cut lines at your local strip club and just get a little bit of shine and a little bit of fame before you go back to flipping tires, this is not a call out for you. But there are some guys that this is just the bill. And I don't think that St. Denise is going to be in huge competition if he gets a hold of Maynard or Shelby and says, put me in. That's the one, that's the name I would like to insert and have go forward. And it is so important that you have a job to go to when you get done with job today. All of you do something for a living, a job. And if somebody was to ask you, what is the most important thing you could do? You're going to give an answer that you think that the boss wants to hear. I understand that. But after we dig and sift through that, what is the most important thing while you're at work today? What is the most important thing 
that you be sure you achieve. Be on time, pay attention, have a good attitude. Don't take extra long breaks. Be there early, stay late. Get credit for the work that you do. Make sure what I do and the expenses that come with it are exceeded by the revenues and the profits that my work bring in. Like these are all really beautiful answers, but the number one for all of us, no matter what you do, the number one thing you need to make sure that you do today is that you create an opportunity to come back to the same job tomorrow and do it again. That is the number one in front of making a masterpiece, making the company a bunch of money, having a wonderful attitude, guiding, mentoring, leading, cleaning up behind yourself, all these beautiful things. The number one most important is to make sure you can come back to a job tomorrow. So that's where the call out becomes so important. And I can't get off Brendan Allen calling out Robert Whitaker. I can't, I can't get off of it. It's a great fight. I don't predict for you that Brendan can win. There was five years of my life where there was not a man that weighed 185 pounds and was not named Israel Adesanya who had any chance at all of beating Robert Whitaker. I thought Whitaker beat Adesanya the second time. I personally thought he beat him, but there was nobody else that I saw. Robert Whitaker was the clearest number one contender. Well, with all that praise and all that honor and respect that I just gave Whitaker, it's very hard to look at him in this field of work when he will not observe or refuses to observe or has made so much money that he doesn't have to observe the key principle, which is make sure I have a job to come back and do tomorrow. And Robert Whitaker, as of right now, has no job to come back to tomorrow. And he had a guy help him. Brendan Allen helped him. Robert was nowhere to be seen. Brendan Allen, very sweet, very polite. It was his moment. Brendan Allen has never had a moment in sport like this. I want him to thank me. I want him to give me a shout out. I know he listens. I know he follows me over here. I know he takes little pieces of advice. I want him to thank me, but he had to, he had to narrow it down to one. His father was hoping that would be him, and his mother was hoping that would be him, and the matchmakers were hoping it'd be them. And the coners and trainers thought maybe they were going to get a shout-out. I'm admitting I wanted one. None of us got it. You want to know who did get it? Robert Whitaker. And Robert Whitaker didn't want it. It didn't make him feel good. He didn't think this is a young, hard-working man who's climbed his way up, and before I know it, he's where I used to be. He's in the main event on the worldwide leader, beating guys who are really hard to beat. And instead of appreciating that in any degree, or instead of working with that at any degree, instead of looking like at that, working with that and telling him, you know what, kid, I got my eye on you. You're getting a little over your skis right here. I'm trying to do something different. I don't know if my something different is going to pay off or not, but you go get one more win. You come see me, whatever I'm doing, I'll make sure we get lined up. That would have been a polite way to blow somebody off. Do you guys remember Joe Silva? In UFC was the matchmaker. If you wanted any chance into the UFC, you had to get through Joe. Joe was not afraid of the word no. Joe just found a word, a word and a way to say no in a better way, which was go win three in a row, come back and see me. If you go get three straight victories, any way you can get them, 
Knockout submission decision, but you get three in a row. You come see me. I will put you in and under contract with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And it was just a chance for now everybody, we didn't get the yes we wanted, but we haven't now been told no, it wasn't bad. There's no relationship that's harmed. There was nobody looking down your nose. Obviously what Joe meant is you don't have the skills, the experience or the record of somebody to be over here. But if you get three more in a row, you then will have the experience and a record that looks like guys that we have over here. I just thought that was the opportunity for Robert Whitaker to use that with Allen. It was tremendously helpful. I wanted Allen to say my name. He said Robert Whitaker's name. That's a huge compliment in that moment that he earned the hard way over a killer. And I don't want to give Whitaker too hard of a time. But there was a time when Whitaker was a hungry guy trying to figure out how he was going to make it through, how he was going to get his cub uppets. And he had other people extend and give opportunities to him. And Whitaker slowed a lot of those guys because there was not many that were ready for him. The Reaper was something very special. But the denial of a fight because of a ranking or because of a victory over a guy who did not hold a high enough ranking? Brendan Allen just finished a guy who finished a guy who's the reigning world heavyweight champion right now. Brendan Allen was in the ring with and competed very well with the guy who is the reigning world champion in a different division, this current division, right now. The skill sir seemed to be there. He's a main eventer. That sure seems to matter. He's a main eventer in your weight class where you're sitting at home, possibly with an injury, possibly healed, possibly just unwilling to do it. We don't really know. He's coming for everything that you got, and he telegraphed it. Whether you think he's good enough to take it or not, he just telegraphed it. He told you who he is, and he told you where he's coming. He told you who he's coming for. All those things were you. And if you do not think somebody going on TV for your wife, your children, and everybody to hear that I'm coming for every dream you've ever had, for every bit of media you've ever soaked up, for every commentating gig, and for every headline that you've ever dreamed about having, for every placement on the card, and for that beautiful gold belt, I know those are things that you want, but I want them too, and I'm coming to take them, and I'm willing to come right through you to get them. If you're not the kind of guy to think those are fighting words, you and me are just two different people. Well, they say hindsight's 2020. I strongly pushed and believed that Max should consider what I took as an offer by Gaethje. Gaethje is the BMF champion. He's going to stand firm at 155 pounds, and he told Max, come on up. As a matter of fact, what started as talk of UFC 300. In fact, for to be real clear, when it was Max and moving up to 55, it was actually opponent Poirier, and it was UFC 300. When Gaethje got involved, Gaethje says, hey, wait a minute, you're thinking about coming up. Why don't you come up and see me? Now, I want to do it on September, February 17th. Nobody disclosed why. My buddy Justin Wolf's birthday is February 17th, and it is the only reason why I even remember that date. I don't know the significance of it. Frankly, I don't have to. They wanted to headline the card, 155 pounds, Max versus Justin, and furthermore, Justin would put up the BMF belt. 
you, you must understand, if Justin puts up the BMF belt and Max takes the belt away from him, Justin does not remain number one contender for Islam Makhlchev. He loses the belt, but he would also lose that standing. Do you disagree with me? If you, if, if you don't disagree with me, say nothing. If you do disagree with me, say your piece right now. Because there's room to disagree with me, isn't there? So say your piece right now or, or forever hold your peace. There's not a scenario in this sport where Max is going to go up, he's going to fight Justin at 155. Beat Justin, takes the belt, but Justin did not put up the number one contendership. And he did not even lose to a guy within the division, which is why the discussion of the contendership is not up for grabs. And when the calendar opens up and the stars align, he, Justin, will still feed in to Islam Makhlchev. If anybody sees it that way, speak now or forever hold your peace. And it's a relevant part. For some of you, it's silly and redundant, but it's still very relevant. Because what happens to Max? If Max goes up to 155 and he becomes the BMF champion, we, we can't then say that we're not contesting BMF championships just because we've never done it before. If we get this fight done, we now have set a precedence that it will, in fact, be contested. Will Max be able to take that back to 145 pounds and start contesting it there? Will Max avoid 145 for a period of time, stay at 155, maybe have to answer that calling of Poirier? and keep that belt around and start rotating it? Or does Max stay there as the 55-pound champion and take the other thing that Gaethje had, which is number one contendership? What exactly would be on the line? And it, it, it would be an act of Congress to get any of these things to happen. And I've told you guys this for years. If you want to really know about the sport, there's only a few things that you have to go and figure it out. But one of them is why have they never defended the BMF championship. It's not like the, the keys to the castle just fall in your hand if you get that answer, but it's one of three things that if you figure out why, it will most definitely open your eyes and change the way that you view what we're doing here tremendously. So, Max goes up, takes on Gaethje, beats Gaethje. He's now got the belt and the number one contendership. Well, the problem with that is twofold. The problem why I say that it's twofold is because if you, if you become the number one contender, it's for one weight class. So just up enough and just the right performance and we're, and we're going to keep it. And then what happens if he runs into Islam and he gets ran over? Does he drop back down to 145? The problem with being a number one contender at 155 and not being locked in there and wanting someday to float back to 45 is that Max is just about to be the number one contender at 45. It is highly likely that Tuporia beats Volkanovski. Now, nobody can beat Volkanovski for a round. Nobody can beat Volkanovski for a sequence within that weight class. But Tuporia is different. And Tuporia is special. And Tuporia did get here the only way he was going to be able to get here, which was not crossing paths with Holloway. But either way, he is here and he is special. And if Teporia gets the jump on Volkanovski, Max, without taking any risk, without changing any weight classes, without fighting bigger guys, just by existing and being where he is, is the number one contender. 
Max is ranked higher than Taporia right now. Max has just had three opportunities and Tapor hasn't had any, right? It's a, it's a very different scenario. So before we're allowed Max to go up to fight Justin, we've got to be very clear with our audience. What is it that's on the line? And you don't get to pick and choose, right? You don't say all my chips are in and then it turns out your back pocket got a few chips. You say, well, I, was, I didn't mean those. Well, you said all my chips are in. Are all of them in or not? All of them in, are you trying to get away with something here? Are all of them in or are you cheating? Justin Gaethje put it best. It was one, it was one of the best statements of 2023 because there was absolutely no response. It wouldn't matter how great your linguistic skills are. Nobody could respond when Justin Gaethje declared himself number one contender and followed it up with one sentence. You don't TKO Dustin Poirier and not get a title shot. And nobody's ever refuted that. Nobody. It is about as perfect of a statement as I've heard. But if you're going to move Max, and you're moving Max because a BMF wants to give him a shot, it's not just that BMF belt. And if we do open the door and it's the first ever defense of a BMF belt, now we can have some real fun. I love the BMF belt. I think the more belts, the better. I like the interim belts. I'd like to see a couple of policies and rules set forth. Not just precedence and guessing and wish lists for why we have it. I would like to see that. I would like to see some stuff where it had a lineage, where there was things we could complain about, where there was a, a commission, even a commission within the sport. To see like guys like Kevin Ioli and Dave Meltzer maybe kind of forming this team and overseeing it and making sure it's defended when it's supposed to defend or fines take place, or rankings get placed, or it gets stripped and becomes vacant. I like it. I have fun with it. But if Max goes up to challenge for it, he's not just fighting for that belt. He would be fighting for number one contendership in the division, as I see it. But he would also be going up and fighting and risking a loss. And a loss at any division, no matter how much weight you want to pull and talk about what I did yesterday— you do not become a number one contender, even at a more comfortable division, if you just got beat. Big risk for Max. Big gain for Max. I like the match. I'm not ready to let it go. I think you guys like the match, but I don't think you fully knew what the stakes are. Now that I've explained the match in conjunction with the stakes, I think we all now love that matchup. <laughs> versus Dustin Poirier, UFC 300. That's a rumor that I read today, guys, and that hasn't gone away. Like, Conor versus Poirier is not a new concept. I wouldn't tell you you're you're a fool or you don't follow the sport if you brought that up. But I will let you know that you, you're greatly misunderstanding the times that we're in right now, and Conor's next fight is going to be with Chandler. Unless Chandler gets hurt or sick, of which I don't think he'd tell anybody, I think he would show up anyway. That's a subsection, right? I'm talking about just a, a straightforward normality with the information that we have right now. To suggest Connor against anybody else, you're wasting your breath. And as we start to get to 300, so we've, we've got Poirier versus Connor, and that was kind of circulating a little bit today. You want to know another one? It was George St. Pierre versus Nick Diaz part two. And this, of course, is, is three months removed from speculation that Ronda Rousey was going to return. 
And I'm not sure what about when you hear UFC 300, I'm not sure what about that, that, that you then give a pass to the policies put in place to get to number 300. Like, I'm just, I'm just not sure where 300, because it's 300, becomes a spoof event or it becomes a spectacle event, or it becomes for one-offs, or it becomes a night that we would never do any other time, but this one is special. And I want to push back on your notion if this was the first one, but it's 300, which means it's the third one, which means we have two others that we can reference. If UFC 100 and or UFC 200 had spoof matches, if that's where the fun or the silliness or the nostalgia any word that you would like to apply, but 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 if that is where exceptions to the norm and a breaking of policies take place, then where within 100 and where within 200 did you see that? Why would you think that this is a place you got to 300 a certain way? Okay, did you do that by bringing guys in on a one-off? I mean, the St. Pierre versus Diaz, does that draw? Sure. Why did it happen at 199 or 201 or 299 or 301? Why wouldn't it happen there? If that is what got us to 300, why would we not continue to follow the principles and policies that got us here? I mean, I'm just asking because I'm hearing from some pretty good people, from some pretty meaningful people. A level of silliness within these fights. And as we do start to look to 300 and people are starting to maneuver themselves for that event, Connor coming off of that event struck people as a big surprise. Wow. Big event, their biggest star, their biggest stars available, and they're not putting him there. Well, as soon as you demote a guy, it is very difficult to promote the guy. Connor is in a, a wildly unique position where the outcome of his last match does not impact the magnitude of his next. And he's been in that position for years. The result of his previous night does not affect his placement on the card. He was a main event then, it will be a main event on the next one. Win or lose. Until he's not. And that is your average fighter's trajectory. Well, they will come through the dog parks and the YMCAs and they'll work themselves into an organization. And the good ones will keep winning, keep building their brand, and they'll work their way up the card. And then they will very slowly start to work their way back down the card. Your main eventers become your co-main eventers. They become your main card guys. They go to the undercard. Once they reach the undercard, it's just a matter of time. Do they step aside themselves or do they wait until it's done for them? But that is the basic trajectory. There is not athletes who come in and follow that, they make it to the top, and they come back down, and then they go back to the top. So I, I'm only sharing that for you because UFC 300, without knowing anything about it, will have a title fight. Conor McGregor will be a main event. If Conor McGregor were to fight at UFC 300 just on its face, he could not be a main event. So if you have Conor on a card, you got him third from the top just by example, he's not returning to the top. So no wildly unique position as it is where results don't impact the future. But I'm just sharing with you, like if you're looking at 300 and you're trying to make your guesses, do you believe that Conor McGregor, the sport's biggest star, 
the most anticipated return, all this stuff. Do you believe he's going to come back and be anything less than a main event? If you do, you've lost credibility. We can stop talking. Do you think that on number 300, the headliner's not going to be a title fight? Because if you do, you've lost credibility and we can just stop talking. But I just wanted to share some of these principles with you that you might be missing. And all of a sudden, your predictions, where you won't know which way you want to go, you do have things that you can eliminate. Dana White will always put on a significant fight. Always and every time. Won't matter if it's a pay-per-view, won't matter if it's a sideshow, won't matter if back in the old days it was on Wednesday. Won't make a bit of difference. The fight must have a significance, whatever that is. He will never and has never put on a fight that didn't have a potential for a story to be told. So I, I just I bring to you when you talk about GSP versus DS part two. When when you talk about that. If both aren't going to return, if both aren't going to take on a meaningful schedule, if both are not trying to get their names back out there and break back into the rankings in a pursuit ultimately to get to a title shot and a title, if that is not on the board and that is no longer possible, they are not getting booked and they're not getting airtime now or ever. And I, I use the example of GSP and Nick Diaz just to remind you when we get to 300, we aren't going to start doing things that haven't been done for the previous 299. It's going to be a celebration and a tribute and a tip of the hat. The policies are not then going to begin to be broken. Ronda's not going to come in for one night. And it's a concept that's very important that you do understand. Because when you'll watch other fight organizations that are trying to be competitive, and they can't get there. It's not just the star power. It's not just those little letters of UFC. It's not just the production. It's not a lot of the things with the marketing machine or all of the other excuses that are given because the person doesn't understand what's happening in front of them. You will have promoters who need to put on the biggest fight they can on a specific night. That's called checkers. And it's a lot of fun. I don't put it down. But there's a difference when you're dealing with somebody that plays chess constantly. And to act as though you've studied the sport or you've observed it or if you were matchmaker for the day, here's what I would do. And not to understand that over the 30-year history, each fight has a significance. It has a potential to lead to something else. No matter how unlikely, no matter what the risk, it has a potential. It has the opportunity. Both guys are under contract. They're back. They're meaningful. We're moving forward. It has the potential. There is no fight in the 30-year history that you can show me that didn't have that ingredient, that was done on a one-off, that was done just for fun, that was done for the sake of nostalgia, that was done to sell money for tonight and not look to the future, that was meant to disrupt. I'm going to use my TV time, which is ever so coveted, to build and shine somebody. Nope, I'm going to use my TV time. Forget all the guys that I've got who I could build and shine. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it to guys that are never going to come back. If I build them and let them have this special and fun moment in the crowd, and they got a tear in their eyes, and they're buying a, a T-shirt on the way up, but the guy's never coming back. Why did I use my airtime and give it to him in the first place? And if you don't understand this concept, there's a lot of places in MMA you can work because they don't understand it either. If you do understand the concept that everything is happening for a reason, we're not playing checkers, we're not doing it for one night only. 
It's the beginning or the middle of a larger story being told. It at least possesses that potential or it's not getting airtime. Very simple concept. Not a lot of people recognize it. If you do, I just gave you a leg up. That is it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And everybody, I just want to remind you, if you like the show, I ask one favor, that you go over, you leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let them know how much you liked it and what specifically you did like. Please do that. I'm going to talk to you again on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sutton, and you are welcome.